Good evening, everyone. Mary, are you co-pilot tonight or? Thank you, as always. Love to see all your faces and love it if you are open to, willing to say hello to each other, to acknowledge that you're offering your presence to a community tonight. Give that uplifting of energy, you could call it. So please feel free to unmute and say good evening. Good evening, this is Charlie and Elsa from uh, Berkeley. Yeah, feel free to say where you're calling in from as well. Hi, this is Mark, I'm in San Francisco. Hi, everybody. Hey, Mark. Hi, everybody, uh, Rhonda and Frank, San Francisco. Hi. Hey, Rhonda. Hello, Santa Rosa. Hello, San Francisco. Hi, Laura from Maryland. Hello, I'm Linda from Regina, Saskatchewan. Hey, Linda. Howie, good to be here. Good good to see you. Hi, Elizabeth, San Diego. Hey, Elizabeth. Good evening, Brenda from British Columbia. Hi, Brenda. Happen to be in your neighborhood right now. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's Jerry Big Love from Nashville. Anyway. Wow, this is international. Madison from San Francisco. That is an international city, Madison. <laughs> Hi, Patsy from Yosemite. Yay. I'm Anna in Alberta, Canada. Hey, Anna. Great. So wonderful to hear your voices, to see those of you who have your cameras on, the rest of you. That's okay, too. Happy to have you along. Hey, Noemi, Charlie. All right, Sylvia. Great to see you all. Okay, now that we're here, we've maybe gotten your attention a little bit. You may notice that just with a little attention to present time, few moments of coming out of the tangle of whatever has happened before or getting tangled up in what might happen next in this crazy world. Uh, these few moments free of our usual preoccupations, uh, we can begin to balance the, all the upsets of our lives with the calm abiding of meditation. the gladness that comes from being supported and supporting each other. Gladness that comes from just the fact that we are aware, what Suzuki Roshi calls the ultimate fact that you are aware. Maybe awareness being the ultimate fact. And also recognizing that without this body, there would be no capacity to register different sense experiences that we're aware of. So 
we celebrate in our practice, we celebrate being embodied, we celebrate being aware. And then we melt away the difference between these two, awareness and body, and just connect with whatever it is that we feel as body. And the way we settle in is finding a comfortable upright posture as always. And that means finding the point of balance and ease, taking a few intentional breaths, and with each out breath, really letting go of any strain or tension, letting all the days life stresses just drop to the floor. Full acknowledgement that the past has passed. And a full acknowledgement is the future is unknowable right now. That, that all we can really drop into and experience is this living present. And our body longs for our kind attention. To be listened to, to be felt. And you'll notice that the more attention you give to it, the more it calms. So bring attention to the sitting body and notice how it stills. Notice how the stillness of body promotes a steadiness of attention, steadiness of mind. Notice how the longer you stay in this experience of the sitting body, the idea of it gives way to a, a field of sensations, tingling, vibrating, pulsing. Elemental experience of softness and hardness, pressure, moisture, temperature. The elements of nature expressed in this living body. We don't do anything about this. We just feel it and realize the Dharma, realize nature. And at the same time, we anchor our attention in these sensations of sitting because they're here. They call us here. They call us out of the tangle of our imagination to a simple experience of life which is really just six sense experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. We let our body anchor us to this present. And as we remain settled with our attention in our sitting body, we can also notice and enjoy 
the involuntary or natural movements that the body makes when it breathes. Living bodies breathe by themselves. If we recognize the selflessness of the body breath, how it breathes itself, we, in this way we realize the Dharma. This is how we understand or develop knowledge of things as they are. We step beyond the world of opinions and views to a direct experience of this, this moment, this breath, this sitting body. We, we don't pour into our attention anywhere else but here. We settle back into the moment. We don't let our attention leave our body. Intentionally, anyway. Just noticing how when attention is cozied up with the body, and they become one thing. Again, we begin to settle. We try to remain undistracted in this way, stay here as long as we can. Sustain our attention to each arising breath. Sinking into, sticking to the in-breath and the out-breath. Settling into the whole body and the space between the breaths, if there is one. Breath by breath. And even with the best of intentions to remain undistracted, appreciate the simple experience of life, sometimes thoughts come and mindfulness doesn't rise up to notice them. Your mind begins to drift into an imaginary world. Eventually, mindfulness returns. We wake up to where we are. And that's the moment to appreciate that condition of mindfulness. We can see now. We use that moment to dedicate ourselves to anchoring our attention back in our body, back in our breath, back with whatever is predominant in this present moment, whether it's sounds or moods, thoughts or images. We let every experience that is known remind us of our love of being present, awake, undistracted. Just this moment, just this breath or whatever is predominant. 
reconnecting again and again when we get lost. Not making it personal, just cultivating the conditions that lead to calm abiding and insight. And a healing of our distress. Just this moment.
If your mind is sinking into dullness, or if you're straining, struggling, just notice that. Notice the dullness, notice the straining. Let's make a little space to experience that. Let it be the cause of some kind of balancing, refreshing, and a reminder that every moment is an opportunity to begin again. It's a new beginning. Past has passed. Future is just an idea. There's just this. So it's open and fresh and available to plant the seeds of skillfulness, of mindfulness, of kindness, clarity. Just this moment.
As always, a pleasure to sit with you. Appreciate you being here. Welcome to Mission Dharma for those who haven't been here before. I somehow thought this evening when I arrived that there would be just a few people here because it's a big night for San Francisco Giants baseball. And then I realized that as many of you were saying hello, that we are not just a San Francisco Sangha at present. And so I was delighted that there are those who were not married to the baseball game tonight or who know how to work a DVR and record the game to be watched later. At least you had your priorities straight. Anyway, I was delighted to see you. And for those of you who renounced the baseball game, proud of you. And uh, I am curious myself how it's going. But uh, I'm happier to be with you. Nothing can improve on this. I think tonight, since last week we what's the word forewent we we, we foregoed <laughs> we didn't you, we didn't share any of the announcements that we typically do and so before we continue i thought mary would uh, just share a few of the things that are going on and, and we could take a just a moment's breather just to marinate in the fruits of our practice for a minute and listen to mary and then uh, then i'll continue so please, Mary. Okay, thanks, Howie. And then we also have an announcement from Noemi. So, um, but let me first just tell you about uh, a retreat opportunity coming up in January with Howie and Susie Harrington and Tara Mullay, a wonderful teaching team, January 4th through 9th at Spirit Rock in person. Um, I believe registration is still open. So um, wonderful opportunity there. And, um, Mary, do you mind if I interrupt you just one moment? Uh, just And since there are many people here from the British Columbia area, I will also be the first weekend of December, supposedly in person, uh, be at uh, UBC at the Asian Center doing a non-residential weekend in Vancouver. So just want to, while we're still on the retreat announcements, thank you. Thanks. And so, and always a reminder about Donna and particularly about the goodness of Donna. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, good for the organization, for Howie. It's also the, the goodness of giving Donna, the goodness of thinking about giving Donna, the act of giving Donna, the memory of giving Donna. And so uh, I've put in the, in the chat box ways that you can offer. And uh, we very much appreciate it. And I'm going to hand it over to Noemi, who says she has an announcement. Just for those of you who don't know Noemi, she is one of our long, uh, maybe our longest tenured board member at Mission Dharma and uh, a great uh, activist. And she's one of my gurus, wakes me up a lot. Please, Noemi. Actually, Mary and I tie. Oh, Mary. Mary. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna out um, Howie about something. And that is, I would like to wish Howie 
a very belated, well, not that belated, I think at four days, I'm four days uh, late, but happy birthday, Howie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too embarrassing, but yes, I, I, I went from I went from feeling ageless, just part of the cosmos, to a sixty-eight-year-old aging body. Now I'm now I'm depressed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate. I, appreciate. I, I so I did want to celebrate you. Thank you. And I appreciate the goodness and the generosity of, of your gesture and all that you've offered to Mission Dharma and me. Thank you. Thank you. So what do I do with that? I can talk about sickness, aging, <laughs> and death. <laughs> oh, we have to laugh about it. Otherwise, as Wavy Gravy says, it's not funny. Well, I'd like to start with the, the serious in a way. Um, I overheard a comment about something that Bill Maher had said on his program on HBO. Sorry about the shaking. He said it, um, if, he, if you tune into the news, you get the feeling that there that what is occurring is a slow moving coup a a, a gradual yet persistent and obvious uh, inclination toward fascism in this world toward authoritarianism in this country and that th those who are engaged in it are doing it right out in the open and telling you exactly what they're doing and it's it's unsettling. It's very, these are uh, really painful times. And then we see the, the slow moving and not so slow moving um, effect of our climate. And we see that the, see that the, those representing us don't necessarily always have the best interest of the, of the climate, not necessarily in tune with, with, awakened living even in even in an awakened country like canada relative to the us in many ways because it's a resource country and they rely on their their tar sands which is a really dirty oil and 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 um and uh what's it called um, lumber you know lumber old growth forests are being uprooted and and they continue to keep promoting these these resource selling these resources that is actually damaging uh, our future on this planet damaging the so so many things are happening in the world and then the the way that the pandemic has been um, taken over in some ways, to some degree by, uh, by the misinformation machine. And I don't wanna get into a whole thing about it, but these are really difficult times. 
and that they're unsettling and they are they are di dysregulating to our nervous system. Does anybody relate to what I'm saying around that or is it okay? So this is this is real stuff. Uh, and of course, if you have a very wide view of world systems, they come and go, and this is just another one. But our compassion tells us this is a heart, this is a train wreck, this is a heartbreak. And that it seems essential right now that we have a, a particularly, for extreme times, we need extreme measures. And extreme measures in this case means a, a, a kind of vigilant self-care, a vigilant care of each other, a vigilant care of our planet. But it starts with each of us. It starts with, with doing all that we can do to fortify ourselves, to stay connected, to stay at home, to stay in touch with the simple, gladdening, healing, soothing, nurturing elements of our life. Otherwise, we can't, our minds and bodies cannot seem to, um, to be resilient enough to accommodate all that is happening in our world. That we can, of course, affect change, but a lot of it is out of our control. And so then you hear the, the teachings on, on non-self. And you may think that because everything is marked by non-self and to actually realize non-self, one doesn't need to do anything. One needs to just recognize the, the liberated nature of the mind, to be as you are not an idea of yourself, not a story of yourself, but to awaken to who and what you are. And that, that whatever that is cannot be reduced to a, a story of self. I talked about that a lot last week. But this does not suggest that we also, from a very conventional and earthy point of view, doesn't mean that we don't have agency. And if you look to the Buddha's teachings, he talked about the, the importance of seeing through the illusion of self, but then in the same breath, he said, only those individuals who incline the mind toward awakening, who cultivate the causes and conditions that lead to awakening, that lead to compassion, that lead to joy, that lead to equanimity, only those who cultivate the path become realized, become liberated, become a beacon of safety for others, others who, who will not have to fear, uh, and a beacon of someone who is without regret, a beacon of someone who's, uh, whose heart is inclusive, who is, whose heart is as wide as the world. Only those who cultivate the path tend to realize that. So the realization is that the lights are on, but nobody's home, but only those who practice, only those who aim their individual attention 
on awakening tend to realize that. This is the paradox. So I came across today, I had a few different streams that ran through my, my life today. One was, was speaking to my guru, my wife, Annie, who I often quote on Tuesday nights. I could never do justice to what she actually said, but what she spoke about was realizing in a moment that she was really caught up in something. And she said to herself something to the effect of, and she, the second part of it was tongue in cheek. The first part was real. What are you doing? And then the, the tongue in cheek part was you idiot. What are you doing? And in that moment, there was a, a letting go, a letting go of whatever she was preoccupied with, absorbed in, caught up in, thinking about. There was an awakening. And once she came out of that, as what I would often describe as waking up to where we are, those moments of when mindfulness rearises, she her lens just widened. Now, as you hear this, you can see this is not just something that happens on your meditation cushion. This is completely portable wherever you wake up to where you are. You know, like I was saying last week, I was quoting from the David Bubble. He says, look around, look at your fellow bugs. You know, that poem, the bugs in a bowl. But the, the impact of that meeting of the senses and consciousness, it caused a whole it caused a whole um, emergence of creativity, of connection, of inspiration. Now that's right in the middle, literally on the heels of having been absorbed and fixated in some internal drama. Any of you relate to getting absorbed in internal dramas? That, <laughs> oh, thank you. That moment of awakening, that's not by accident. That is, on one hand, the fruit of having planted the seed in other past present moments, planting the seed of attention. And it sounds like Annie has gone from this very narrow world of her imagination to this very wide panoramic experience of life, but it's really just a matter of being asleep or awake. It's only two things. You're either mindful or you're not. And when I say mindful, you know what you're doing when you're doing it. You're actually awake right now. And notice what it's like, even tonight. Notice what it's like when you're awake. And notice how different that is to those moments when you're caught. And right now it's really easy to get caught. But it's not just going from narrow to wide because if you're awake and you look at things in a really narrow way, in a really detailed way, the world opens up. 
like looking at the keys right now on this computer, looking at all of your faces right now. It's a very small lens. It's a slightly narrow lens, but the immediacy of it, the aliveness of it, even this computer becomes part of this kind of illuminated view. And I'm reminded of when we used to take my daughter down to the, to the ocean, down to the little um, tide pools, and she would just zero in on these little tiny worlds. But what she would see countless beings where I would be looking more superficially, I wouldn't even see what she was seeing. And so even narrowing, it opens up the world, but then also the capacity to expand your world, to come out of the, of the me, my, and mine, and see that I'm not alone here. I'm with everything. I am not disconnected to everything. And this habit of being attentive, it's not something that just happens by accident. It does happen by accident, but only those who practice become accident prone. It starts popping up on its own. And then the Buddha was, was crystal clear about the necessity to live an awakened life, to, to, to develop uh, to develop the heart and the mind to the point where one can have what is often translated knowledge and vision of things as they are, where you really awaken to, to how things are and then adjust, live in harmony instead of in contention with reality. It's very clear about that. And it's mostly it's mostly described, and I won't do it entirely tonight because I seem to do it every week in the in the Noble Eightfold Path and the cultivation of wise action and wise livelihood and wise speech, the cultivation of the mind, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration, the cultivation of wisdom, wise understanding, uh, right thought, or right intention. And <clears throat> So that's the, the general path. And any of you that need the support of the, of the mapping of the Eightfold Path, I would just live with it. And I think Bhikkhu Bodhi's teaching on the Noble Eightfold Path is beautiful. I think everyone should have a copy of it so that you actually develop, can develop both the, the Buddha Dharma, the, the teachings as a support for the practice but nothing takes the place of cultivating the heart moment to moment. And that's where I came across a, a beautiful mapping of this pa a path of well-being and happiness essential for these times from a, a writer named Florian Langenscheidt. Maybe some of you know uh, his work, but he spoke about 10 ways of what I call 10 ways of inclining the mind toward well-being. And the first one, and that sometimes we don't appreciate entirely, it's the first one 
about the awakening to well-being and happiness is it's a choice. It's volition. One can choose. And it's so in harmony with the Buddha's teaching about whatever one frequently dwells upon and thinks about becomes the inclination of the mind. That whatever we're orienting ourselves to, that is what we become. Whatever we seed we plant now is the womb out of which our future present moments become. So number one, choosing the choice to be well and happy. How does that sound when I say that? Does it sound like, oh, that, that may be good for you. So notice any doubt that comes. And doubt is just doubt. That's where the practice that's where the rubber meets the road is whatever considerations you have, you just treat them as hindrances on the path. Not to be believed, not to be incarnated as, as the resistant one or the doubtful one, but just know that doubt is doubt. And the one that knows that, the knowing of doubt is not doubting. So that's why we wake up to whatever it is that presents itself on the path. But it starts with inclining toward happiness. And even though the way to happiness, the well-being goes nowhere, one still has to, to aim the heart uh, in the direction of well-being. So to choose it. Florian, I won't repeat his name again. I'll just say his first name again. Florian also says, which is very much at the heart of the Buddha Dharma, is to be attentive and alert to the small moments. It's so easy to get into the story of our situation, to know so much about our world and so much about ourselves. We just don't pay as close attention to what our immediate and direct experience is. It is essential, the small things, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the sensations, the moods, the thoughts, just what's happening, the small things. And then those little details of what you're doing when you're doing it, when you turn the faucet, when you feel the water on your back or on your hands, when that food touches your tongue and that taste sensation arises and noticing how that taste sensation fades, noticing how the helicopter arm goes right back into the food, the details of any meal can be illuminating. The cause of seeing that life just isn't just this mess of authoritarianism and fascism, but it's the simple moments as well. And the in fortifying ourselves with the care that we give for these is, uh, is the medicine, is a medicine that we need. He also talks about the importance of this living present, this immediate moment. 
but we never, except for moments of realization where time, we step out of time completely, even out of the, even out of present time, which is just another concept. But even though we give emphasis to our present time experience, to reality, we also respect where we came from. We respect our ancestry. We respect the causes and conditions that brought us here, that we remember that we don't exist apart from everything that brought us to be. And so this night, this notion of present time is not meant to be an abandonment of an appreciation for the past. And it's said that those who don't understand the past are destined to repeat it. And it doesn't mean that we don't naturally incline and want to consider what our actions are leading to in our future present moments. Because again, this is the womb out of which our future present moments are born. So past and future, they are all part of the present, but um, it's so the present isn't some just uh, timeless blob. It includes the three times. Fourth that he named, since this is right in, in tune with the, with the Dharma, was the importance, especially uh, in a world where we tend to contract and feel a lot of aversion, a lot of fear. There's the tendency to lose touch with the the great good fortune that we have um, almost just by virtue of the fact that we're alive. I know recently I shared the words of Walt Whitman where he said, or I'm not Walt Whitman, Thoreau, I always mix them up because I thought it was Whitman for about 20 years until I finally found out it was Thoreau. But uh, he talks about the gratitude for existence where he says, no run on my bank can drain it, but also just grateful for um, the little things in our life. And the Buddha, this is why it's in keeping with the dharmas, the Buddha said that the two most rare beings in this world, which I found very fascinating, the two most rare beings in this world are those who benefit others and those who feel gratitude. And that to me was an inspiration to cultivate gratitude. In fact, at Mission Dharma, many, many years ago, we started a gratitude uh, program where people found a gratitude buddy and started either daily or weekly uh, connecting with someone and just talking about something they're grateful for. And some people, I think it was 12, 13 years ago, some people are still connecting either daily or weekly with their gratitude buddies. So maybe tonight's a good night to start that again. Find a gratitude buddy something to incline your mind toward gratitude because it will bring gladness even during this time we don't have to wait until all the wars are over in fact our, this world needs to be balanced with gratitude forgiveness um, i'm actually slightly inclined to read my favorite story of forgiveness. 
if it shows up on the surface here. Forgiveness is at the heart of the teachings of letting go, of wise understanding that, that people generally act out of greed, hatred, and ignorance, or mostly out of ignorance, and therefore they don't even realize the extent to which they are causing harm. And people don't cause harm in a vacuum that's often the result of causes and conditions set in motion long before they knew what they were doing. People become. Is it possible to turn that back on? Mary, are you? Okay. Sorry, my, my computer dropped out. Thank you, Mary. Anyway, forgiveness uh, and forgiveness is a delicate thing, but it's inclining your heart toward forgiveness because the holding of resentments we find is really a um, a continual punishment that we give ourselves for what somebody else may have done or what we have may have done a long time ago. We can carry these around for lifetimes and the option really is available for us to to let go and not only do we release someone else with our forgiveness but we release the punishment that we are giving to ourselves in holding on so since i have a few extra minutes i'll share the jack cornfield story that I did, just shared with the Regina Sangha recently. So Jill and others from Regina, apologize for the repeat, but here we are. From Jack Cornfield, no matter how extreme the circumstances, the transformation of the heart is possible. Once on the train from Washington to Philadelphia, I found myself seated, seated next to an African-American man who had worked for the State Department in India, but had quit to run a rehabilitation program for juvenile offenders in the District of Columbia. Most of the youths he worked with were gang members who had committed suicide. One 14-year-old boy in his program had shot and killed an innocent teenager to prove himself to his gang. At the trial, the victim's mother sat impassively silent until the end when the youth was convicted of the killing. After the verdict was announced, she stood up slowly and stared directly at him and stated, I'm going to kill you. Then the youth was taken away to serve several years in a juvenile facility. After the first half year, the mother of the slain child went to visit his killer. He had been living on the streets before the killing and she was the only visitor he'd had. For a time they talked and when she left, she gave him some money for cigarettes. Then she started step by step to visit him more regularly, bringing food and small gifts. 
Near the end of his three-year sentence, she asked him what he would be doing when he got out. He was confused and very uncertain, so she offered to set him up with a job at a friend's company. Then she inquired about where he would live, and since he had no family to return to, she offered him temporary use of the spare room in her home. For eight months he lived there, ate her food, and worked at the job. Then one evening she called him into the living room to talk. She sat down opposite him and waited. Then she started. Do you remember in the courtroom when I said I was going to kill you? I sure do, he replied. Well, I did, she went on. I did not want the boy who could kill my son for no reason to remain alive on this earth. I wanted him to die. That's why I started to visit you and bring you things. That's why I got you the job and let you live here in my house. That's how I set about changing you. And that old boy, he's gone. So now I want to ask you, since my son is gone and that killer is gone, if you'll stay here, I've got room. I'd like to adopt you if you let me. And she became the mother of her son's killer, the mother he never had. Now, that's forgiveness. And it's worth it in whatever way to incline our heart toward forgiveness. It's not something you can just do. It's the seed that gets planted with the intention. Just know the capacity of the heart like this, that woman. Um, our hearts are meant to love and forgive. They're not meant to hide in contraction and self-protection, even though that is an innocent response to the trauma that we may have experienced. So a forgiving heart, uh, working for others' happiness. It's so easy to, in this disembodied kind of individualistic world, to, to uh, lose touch with the, what seems like a very important and accessible cause of well-being, thinking of how you can bring well-being and happiness to other people. I know that's one of the greatest blessings of, of the having the people in my life, you know, people on our board, the people in my family, whoever it is that crosses my path. I, part of my consideration is how I can make their lives easier or be of support. And that, and that, that's something we can reliably, we can reliably, um, experience the the sense of well-being even as this slow moving coup occurs or i don't mean that it actually will occur but even in the midst of difficult times and just very quickly um, inclining toward um, the positive you know, I just think so much about COVID and I've, my life has 
had a lot of blessings during this time. And I know that many have had it really difficult, but almost everyone, and depending on how you incline your mind, can find the silver lining in what's happened, the greater appreciation of simplicity, of um, just the, the coming together and supporting one another in the ways that we can, the being of, of refuge for others, uh, just so many blessings of being able to reconsider how we live our lives. And for many of us, our lives were like runaway trains, just so much habituated to a certain way of living, taking for granted the freedoms and the ease of, of being able to do what we're doing, but not really necessarily doing it with a lot of consciousness and consideration. So to tune into those blessings, to tune into the positive, uh, that doesn't mean to ignore the painful elements of it the, or our complaints, to be just as mindful of our complaints, but use the, our complaints, put them to good use to equally remind ourselves of the blessings. The way that Florian puts it to accept disappointment. In Dharma terms, we say, accept that there, that there is dukkha in this life, that we have, our life has things, if you're born, it has things that are difficult to bear. It's not just you. And that itself is not a problem. It's what we do with those problems. It's how, whether or not the disappointments, the frustrations, the losses, the illnesses, whether they get compounded by a mental suffering. And so obviously inclining toward accepting the difficulties in our life is, is good Dharma. Importance, he also includes the importance of friendship and love. Sangha, I don't think I've ever appreciated Sangha as much even though we haven't met in person, just the blessing of being able to support each other during this time. It's been, um, yeah, heartbreakingly wonderful. So may it continue. Then um, the last piece, and this is also the part about agency, about individuality, remembering that the Buddha was an individual he says to live your own life. So many of us in so many ways have subtly self-abandoned, abandoned our own individual sensibilities to be able to fit in or to look good or whatever imagined notion that we had of uh, what's acceptable and what's not. And uh, to be able to listen to and then to live a congruent life, to stand alone in a way, alone with others, but alone in the truth of what, of how you live this life. That, that there's no, that there's no place where it's written, that there's some way that you should be, someone you should be. I see so many people tormented by, by the search for approval, 
search for acceptance. And that may be an innocent process that's born of, of all the ways that we had to jump through hoops to get fed or to get loved or whatever. But at this point, we have to really listen and just take no prisoners. Let the world adjust to you. It means if you want to, if you don't want to go to a party, you don't go. You don't act out of fear. You say, no, I'd rather stay home. <laughs> I'd rather nurture this body. And then last but not least for nurturing this vigilant nurturing body don't let your mind leave your body attend to your body every day feed it well make it make it sleep well if you can um, take good care of yourself so i'm going to read these one more time and then we'll say good night choose to be happy and well be attentive to the small moments, the little things. Aware of present time, but sensitive to past and future. Grateful, forgiving, dedicated to happiness of others, inclining toward the positive, accepting dukkha, accepting disappointment, things that are hard to bear, cultivating friendship, love, sangha, live your own life. So may your life be full of um, inclination toward well-being and happiness. And may you, may you be fortified so that you can just not let this world, this spinning world, spin out of control where you where we're available to dedicate ourselves to keeping uh, keeping democracy alive it's a good thing it's a good thing anyway thanks for listening thanks for the birthday greetings thanks for the support and thanks for your practice and please feel free to unmute say good night and, and i'll get you gone thank you Good night, all. Good night, all. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Thank you. 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 Thank you.